0: You, Jim. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Glad you're here. We're in the middle of a series called Encountering Jesus, and today we're not so much going to encounter somebody who encountered Jesus, but we're going to hear a story that Jesus told. Um, and so that's kind of our text. Our text for today comes from Matthew chapter 20. We'll be looking at the parable uh, the story that Jesus told about the workers in the vineyard. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Matthew chapter 20. Uh, we'll be looking reading verses 1 through 7. Um, but before we do, I want to see if there's any country music fans in the house. A few. Oh, well, they jumped, those hands jumped right up. Um, some of y'all will remember a guy by the name of Garth Brooks a few years back ago. He used to sing a lot of songs about sin. At least sins that he wanted to commit, and uh, one of those songs, uh, he was talking about some sins that he was thinking about committing, and and the line in the song said, um, "I thank God for unanswered prayer." And so this morning, that's kind of what we want to talk about: is um, not just our prayer life, but about what we bring to God, what we ask God for. Um, so let's stand together for the reading from God's Word, Matthew chapter twenty. We'll be reading verses 1 through 7, and this is the front end of the story of the parable of the workers in the vineyard. All right, here we go, Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. All right, you may be seated. I want to walk through these verses together and see what's going on in the story and what is it, then kind of carry all that forward to talk about what difference all this makes to you and me. All right, so let's start at verse 1. Um, verse one says for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard now back in biblical times it was common practice for people who uh, had farms to go to the marketplace during harvest season and there would be men there from the local village who would gather together kind of like day laborers and they would hire a select number of those men out and some would go to this farm others would go to that farm and that's how the community all pulled together during harvest season And so that's what the situation, the story that Jesus is telling, that's the scenario we have. Verse 2, it says, He agreed, the landowner agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, the denarius was a Roman silver coin, and this would have been enough to feed a man's family for several days. So, this is a fair wage that this guy was getting paid for a day's worth of work. Um, now here's the really important insight in verse two, and I don't want for us to miss it because the whole meaning of the passage hangs on this insight, and that is that this guy, the landowner, ha- had to haggle with these workers in order to figure out what to pay them. They say, "You say, Gordon, how do you know that he had to haggle with them? Because the text says that he agreed." to pay them a certain amount. It's not that he came up and he offered to pay them a certain amount and they just said okay. It's that he agreed. So there was some back and forth that happened between him and these workers that he was going to hire to go out and work in his fields for the day. Skip on down to verse 3. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Now the third hour is going to be 9 o'clock in the morning. And some of your translations just says 9 o'clock in the morning. You say, well, how did it get to 9 o'clock in the morning from the third hour? Well, the Jewish day starts at 6 p.m. Our day starts at midnight, but by the Jewish religious calendar, they start their day at 6 p.m. They don't have a.m. and p.m. Uh, designations like we would do and so you have to know is this story taking place at night or is this story taking place during daylight hours and so we know he's going out in the morning to hire workers so this is the daylight hour story so we count three hours from 6 a.m. the middle of their day and we get 9 a.m. you of course followed all of that but in any case that's how they got that so um, uh, and let me add that a typical workday for the Jewish people in biblical times was from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. They worked 12-hour days, six days a week. Yikes. No wonder they were so harsh about getting off on the Sabbath day, right? So it says that the landowner went back to the marketplace for some other business, and it happens to see some more guys there, some more maybe late arrivals or some people that didn't get hired out by somebody else, and they're just standing around doing nothing. So he says to them, verse 4, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. Now notice, unlike the 6 a.m. group, this 9 a.m. group, no haggling. There wasn't like an agreement that they came to. He just said, you go out and work in my vineyard, and I'll make sure to take care of you. Verse 5, he went out again about the 6th hour. So 6 hours past 6 a.m. is going to be what time? Noon, thank you very much. And so at the ninth hour also he went out and found more workers at the marketplace. So at the ninth hour, that's 9 hours past 6 a.m., so we're going to be 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he did the same thing, it says. Verse 6, about the 11th hour... So 11 hours past 6 a.m. We're at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. You follow me? All right, just making sure. All right, so at 5 o'clock in the afternoon with only one more hour left in the workday, right? They work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. This is at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, he shows up and he says he found still others standing around doing nothing. So he asked them... Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Verse 7, because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. I mean, these guys aren't going to get a full hour even in this work day. He sees them at 5 o'clock, then they head off to his house. They get to do a little bit of work. Verse 8, when evening came, 6 o'clock, end of the day, whistle blows, day's over, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages. Begin with the last ones that we hired and then on down to the first guys, the 6 o'clock in the morning guys that we hired. Verse 9, the workers who were hired about the 11th hours, this is the first group he's going to pay, the 5 o'clock in the afternoon people who probably didn't even get an hour's worth of work in, it says, came and each of them received a denarius, which is the same agreed upon price that the 6 a.m. workers had set for their 12 hours of work they were anticipating. So the rest of the guys are standing around watching this, right? They see the, the, the guys that showed up at the end of the day getting paid a denarius, and they're thinking to themselves, hmm, <laughs> is this? I'm going to cash in here, right? He's paying them a denarius. Well, I might get 12 denarius, or I might get 6 denarius. I'm going to get more money than a denarius for sure. But <clears throat> as they're sitting around watching all of these groups, the 5 o'clock group, the 3 o'clock group, the, the, the 9 o'clock group, as he's watching all these groups filter through and get paid, they're all getting paid the same amount of money. Verse 10, so when those who were hired first, the 6 o'clock group, they're the last ones to get paid, they expected to receive more. Of course they did. But each one of them also received just one denarius. And so you can imagine that these folks were probably not too happy about the fact that these guys, especially the people that showed up at 5 o'clock, they got paid the same amount of money as we did, and they only worked for like less than an hour. We've been out here all day long. Verse 11, when they received it, there was some confusion, a confused look on their faces, and then they began to grumble against the landowner. Verse 12, these men who were hired last worked only one hour. You have made them equal in pay to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. And so they're upset about this, and rightly so. I mean, like you said, they've been out there for 12 hours working in this guy's fields, Uh, giving it all that they had, and then some other jokers come along with like 45 minutes to spare and barely break a sweat, and they get paid the same amount of money. And so these folks are a little upset about that. So let's see what the landowner has to say in response to this what seems to be unfair um, scenario. Verse 13. Friends, I am not being unfair to you, he says. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? That's, that's the price you set. You agreed, you haggled with me, and that was the amount that you wanted to be paid. And so I paid you that. Verse 14, then take your pay, the pay that we agreed on, and go. In other words, we agreed on a wage price. You haggled with me. None of these other guys haggled with me, but you all did. And so take your pay and go. Verse 15, last verse. The landowner said, don't I have the right to do what I want With my own money. In other words, if I want to be generous toward the guys that showed up at 5 o'clock and worked for 45 minutes, if I want to be generous, then it's my prerogative to be generous. Um, If I want to be generous toward those that started at noon or those that started at 3 in the afternoon, then it's my prerogative. He says, or are you envious? In other words, are you jealous because I'm generous? Remember, none of the other groups, this is the big meaning of the passage, none of the other groups haggled with the landowners. They just simply went out into the field trusting that the landowner was going to do right by them. And so I think the implication here is very clear. The landowner is saying if, all, if you all, the 6 o'clock group, right, the 6 o'clock in the morning group, if they had gone out in the field the same way as the others had, without haggling, just trusting in the landowner to take care of them, he would have been more generous with them as well. All right, that's as far as you want to go with our story for today, and so that means it's time to ask that most important question that we ask each week around here, what difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I'm, you know, I'm glad I don't work 12 hours a day. Some of you may. I'm glad I don't have to work 12 hours a day, and I don't even know what a denarius is, so I mean, what difference does any of this make to my life? Um, Well, let's talk about that. First, I think we need to figure out, make sure we all know who the characters in this story are representing, like in real life. Um, The landowner. Who is the landowner representing in real life? Somebody said Jesus, our God. Yeah, so God, uh, God the Father, from whom all blessings flow, right? So this is this, in Jesus' story. This is God, the landowner's God, in this story, who's sharing tremendous generosity, who's showing great mercy uh, to these other workers. Um, and then in the story, who are the workers that go out into the fields that are ripe for harvest? Well, we're talking about the church here. We're talking about the believers. We're talking about the people who are followers of Christ. And so that's who the who these folks are. And what is the difference in the groups that were hired? Well, again, we've already pointed this out. Everybody but the six o'clock group went out into the field and trusted the landowner to do right by them. Trusted that the landowner had things under control, that he was going to be generous, that he was going to show his mercy to them, and that they just they didn't haggle with him. But the 6 o'clock group, that was, what, they were the, that was the difference there, is that they haggled with the landowner. What was the result of all this? The result was that God gave those that haggled exactly what they asked for and nothing more. They did not experience the generosity of God. They did not experience the mercy of God. They simply got what they wanted. Now, friends, understanding all this means that we understand something very important about God. That is, we understand something important about His essential nature, about who God is, who He claims to be. And that is that God loves to be overly generous with His children. Listen to a couple of these verses. Psalm chapter 35, verse 27 says, middle of the verse, God who delights, delights in the well being of His servant. Psalm chapter 31, verse 19, how great is your goodness that you have stored up for those who fear you. In Psalm chapter 23 and verse 5, a very familiar verse, you, that is God, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup over flows. Notice that David didn't say my cup is half full. Notice that David didn't say it's three quarters full. Notice that David didn't say that his cup was filled to the brim. He said that his cup was overflowing, this constant overflowing of the blessings of God. And so what is God saying in all these verses? He's saying, if you will allow me to make the choices in your life without haggling, without saying, oh, let's make a deal here, God. God, this is what I want. God, this is what i got to have. God says, if you'll just go where I send you, if you'll just take the order I give you and just go, I will pour it, then your cup will overflow. Then I will pour out blessings and show you my great generosity. Now all this reminds me of a story from the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 11 uh, Numbers chapter 11. The Israelites have been out in the desert now for over a year. They've been camped at the base of Mount Sinai. They're in the Sinai Peninsula, between where the two fingers of the Red Sea come up, and they've been out there uh, living in the desert. Uh, no way to, for them to sustain themselves in the desert, and so God has provided for them. He's Provided water from the rock, and He's provided this supernatural bread called manna that comes down and lays on the ground, and the people would go out and they pick this man up. And this manna was delicious. The Scripture tells us it tasted like honey. And so the Israelites have been eating this manna and enjoying this manna. Um, but they begin to kind of want to get a taste for something a little bit different than the manna. Even though this is what God had said, hey, this is what I want for you. This is what I've provided for you. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 4, here comes the, the complaining. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if we only had meat to eat. Like that, then we'd be good, all right? Got it. I mean, thank you for the food that we got, but if we had something a little bit more, something a little bit more flavor, then we'd be okay, verse 5. So we remember the, fit. We remember the fish that we used to eat back in Egypt at no cost. Like we'd just go out and catch it, and we'd eat the fish and fry them up, and it was delicious. And the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now we've, I mean, this sounds like a bunch of people who are like on the show Survivor or something like that, right? They've eaten rice for a while. But now we've lost our appetite. All we ever get is this mana you say, Gordon, what's wrong with manna? Well, nothing's wrong with manna. Like I said, the stuff was delicious. It was, it was good. It tasted like honey. Um, and the, we also learn here in Numbers chapter 11 that the women of Israel had become very adept, very good at creating all sorts of pioneer woman uh, you know, casserole dishes and things like that out of this manna. They had manna cakes. They had manna pies. They had manna broiled manna. They had fried manna, stewed manna, scrambled manna, sunny side up manna, manna over easy. They had manna uh, burgers. They had manna dumplings. They had manna coddy. They had all kind of manna that you can think out there. The point is that God had chosen for the Israelites to eat manna, and he knew that it was what was best for them. But the Israelites said, no, 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 God, you don't understand. If we had something different than what you have provided for us, then we would be where we need to be. And so God and being the gracious God that He is, reciprocates and gives them what it is that they've asked for. But it turns out to be more than what they bargained for. Numbers chapter eleven, verse thirty-one. God, the scriptures read that now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. And look at how many quail there were. It says He and it had brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground, for as far as you could walk in a day. Three feet deep, full of quail. That's not a big bird, right? That's a lot. That's a mess of quail for as far as you could walk in a day. Kind of like uh, you know they wanted something different to eat. God says, "Hey, look, I'll give you you way more than what you ever asked for." Verse 32. All that day and night, and all the next day, the people went out. They gathered up their quail. Verse 33. And while 33. And while the meat was still between their teeth, before it could even be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. See, they thought that manna manna wasn't enough, that manna wasn't good enough. And so they just desired to have this quail, some kind of meat or something. And so God provided it for them. But what they thought was going to be a blessing turned into a curse. So let's stop for a minute and be honest. We can probably say that we have been like the Israelites before. We have been like the 6 a.m. workers before. Or we've had this back and forth with God. God, okay, I know what you're asking me to do. I know what you want to see happen. But God, I have to have certain stipulations, certain uh, stipulations that we put on me then reciprocating. God, there's certain things that I just have to have. Um, <clears throat> you know, we have to cleverly figure out exactly what we think is best for us. And we figure out what we think we need. Let me give you a few examples. If we're sick... Then we know that God has to heal us completely. If we're uh, poor, then God, we gotta have more money. If we're childless, then God, we gotta have children. If we're single, God, I gotta be married. If we're having trouble at work, then we're absolutely sure that I gotta need a new job, right? And so if we're having trouble of any kind, we're sure that the trouble needs to be taken away. And here's what we do we go to God. And we begin lobbying for this, and we begin insisting on that, and we begin dictating to God how things have got to go in order for us to uh, continue to be obedient, in order for us to do what God is asking us to do. So the big difference that all this makes to you and me is that maybe we need to change our prayer from, God, do this for me, God, make this happen, and insisting that things happen a certain way to prayers that sound like, God, I'm going to let you decide what's best for me. You say, well, Gordon, does that mean it's wrong to ask God for specific things? No, it doesn't mean that it's wrong at all. God's more than happy to hear our request, to bring our request to him. God's not offended at that at all. But in those prayers, we need to make sure we leave room for God to make the final choice, not us. We need to leave room for God to make the final call and the final decision, not us. To say, God, here's what I'm facing, and you know better than I do what's best for me. And Lord, whatever you decide, I will receive it with joy. Friends, that is not a weak prayer. That is not an unfaithful prayer. That is a wise prayer and it honors the Sovereign God of the universe. Now, I was heading down the road this past week with Jonathan, our new full-time youth pastor, and I was telling him about how I ended up here at Hebron. And uh, in the spring of 2007, I found myself in South Korea, and I was visiting a church there, um, and they had a a retreat center outside of Seoul. And uh, so we were out out in the mountain countryside, And they built this retreat center near the top of a mountain. And they called the retreat center in the mountain Prayer Mountain. And uh, I had been fasting all day. And it was late in the evening. The lights were all out in the building. And I was earnestly seeking after the Lord. I wanted his direction. I wanted his wisdom. I wanted him to dictate the way things would go. And I was wrestling, though, because I was thinking about... Hebron. Hebron was one of the places that was an option out in front of us as to where we might come, and there were several others as well, and they were all really good options. Um, And so, but, you know, to be honest with you, coming to Hebron meant that I was going to have to work another part-time job. And so I was concerned about, you know, the uncertainty of, God, are we going to be able to make it, make ends meet, right? Uh, Am I going to be able to find another part-time job that will work with ministry and stuff? And so I'm sharing all this with the Lord, and I'm wrestling with him. For two hours, this goes on. In my little tower of prayer closet, right? Up there on top of Prayer Mountain. And finally, after about two hours of this, the Lord just kind of reached down and thumped me on the head. He didn't really, like, hit me. If he did, I wouldn't be here today. But in any case, he kind of thumped me on the head and just kind of like a, hey, you, kind of moment. And he said, Gordon, do you think... You know how to run your life better than I do. And I just had to step back for a moment and say, "Okay, God. We're heading for Hebron. We'll go out into that field that you called us to, and we will trust that you'll take care of me and you'll take care of my family." And you know the rest of the story. God certainly has. You know, a guiding verse for me all through my life has come from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It reads like this Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. See, God will use circumstances, God will use people, God will use prayer closets in Korea, God will use the voice of the Holy Spirit. God will direct our paths. But get this, God will only do this when we don't act like the Israelites at the base of Sinai. God will only do this when we don't act like the 6 a.m. workers and dictate to God what the circumstances have to be in order for us to be obedient. The 6 a.m. worker got what they wanted but they missed out on the mercies and the generosity of the landowner. Friends, when you're praying for God to move in your life, my advice to you is to leave room for God to give the final choice, to leave room for God to decide which way things are going to go, to leave room for God Not only to not answer your prayer, but to give you something much, much better. If that's what God decides to do. Garth Brooks is not a theologian. No, he is not. But he did get this one right. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Let's pray together. Most gracious Lord, there is stuff going on in all of our lives. Stuff that is recalling us to maybe step out, take a chance, hold back, whatever it may be. And Lord, we're that's uncharted waters for us. That's that's walking out into a field not knowing what's gonna come at the end of the day. We pray today that we would find a renewed confidence in our landowner that you who love to be generous and love to show your mercy if only we would be obedient first lord we have to trust in you lord this seems so simple and yet in reality it is so tough Give us the confidence this morning to say yes to you, to go where you're sending us, to do what you would ask, to trust in your great mercy and generosity. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.